Hello and welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Rees and on each episode I investigate a different, weird and wonderful subject. And on this episode we are going to explore the very strange, the very unusual and the very creepy phenomena of the soul leaving the body in order to complete a mission and then returning afterwards. Yes, the soul leaving a person's body, going off to do whatever it is they need to do, whatever task they need to complete, and having done so, returning to the body once more. And in order to do that, we are going to look at four different accounts, four different supposedly real-life accounts, if you choose to believe them, in which this really did happen. And they all happened in Wales, although technically one of them happened just over the border in England. But this isn't a phenomena which is unique to Wales or to England. There are reports all over the world of the soul leaving the body for some purpose and returning afterwards. And as I was researching these four accounts, I read this wonderful take on it from Germany, where the soul, it is said, leaves the body via the mouth in the form of a mouse. Yes, a mouse which climbs out of the mouth to go off and do whatever it needs to do. Well, in Wales, the soul doesn't leave the body in the form of a mouse, but in the first of our tales, it leaves the body in the form of a glowing blue light, which, for regular listeners, might bring to mind the idea of the corpse candle, the eerie corpse candle floating through the sky. Do they have some connection with the soul leaving the body? Well, that will all be revealed later on in this episode. Now, these accounts were gathered by one of my favourite, more, more recent, more contemporary writers on Welsh ghost lore and folklore, and that is Jane Pugh. And Jane recorded these in the late 1980s, I believe. And she tells us this belief was prevalent right up until the end of the 19th century. So not that long ago, really, you know, we're talking Victorian times. And Jane records a few instances which happened in the county of Clyde back then between 1880 and 1893. And the first one, the first one is quite quite an ingenious one, really, which took place near the town of Ruthin, when a young man, a naughty young man, was courting two different girls. Now, Jane tells us they naturally hated each other. And never mind the soul leaving the body as a blue blob being remarkable. I think it's quite remarkable that these girls actually knew about each other and then they still carried on caught in this young man but there you go he must have thought he was he was very lucky he had two girls to go to and this account begins when he wakes up one night with one of the two sleeping next to him and as he's lying there in the dead of night in the darkness he hears to quote jane her peaceful sleeping changed to moaning so all was quiet, all was calm, and then a moaning noise. And then from her mouth came a blue light. It bobbed across the room, passed through the closed wooden bedroom door, 
and was gone from sight. Now, this man, after the initial shock, the initial surprise of seeing a blue blob emerge from his girlfriend, one of his girlfriend's mouths, decides to give chase. He throws on some clothes, rushes after the light, and he can see it going down the garden path and then beyond towards the forest. And as he walks along behind it, it bobs and it drifts through the forest to a path. Now, this is a path I am assuming he would have been more than familiar with because it led towards the home of his second girlfriend. And this is where things get even weirder. This blue light which emerged from Girlfriend 1. I I haven't got their names, so we'll have to go with Girlfriend 1, Girlfriend 2. But the blue light from Girlfriend 1 is heading towards the front door of the home of Girlfriend 2. And then, to the horror, as Jane puts it, to the horror of the man following behind, a second blue light emerges from that home they are now on a collision course these two blue lights these two souls of these two girls who hate each other are heading towards each other there's going to be a collision and the two lights met and began to circle each other like and there's there's a wonderful description like two sparring boxers these lights are sizing each other up and you know they're, they're biding their time when are they going to pounce when are they going to punch or not 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 literally punch i'm assuming these lights don't have arms but when are they going to attack Now, occasionally during this kerfuffle, we are told that they did fuse together. They fused together. I guess they got a little bit too close for comfort. There was a little bit of a a touching going on between these two glowing balls. Maybe some kind of fizz, fizz of electricity was going on. Maybe that's how they landed blows. I don't know. I don't know how, how these souls work. But after some minutes, after some time... They made off in the direction they had come from. So the soul of girlfriend number one went back to the sleeping body of girlfriend number one, and the soul of girlfriend number two went back to the sleeping body of girlfriend number two. Well, I assume that's what happened anyway. I I, I don't know if souls are able to switch, maybe, after a fight. Could the soul of girlfriend one head to the body of girlfriend two i i don't know that's that's a question for another day but let us assume the souls went back to their correct bodies and the young man who unsurprisingly had not really witnessed anything like this before but he had heard the stories and so he assumed that I have just seen the souls of my two girlfriends fighting over, presumably, over me. I'm I'm guessing that's what he thought. And I don't know if he was horrified by that idea, maybe, or maybe it was an ego boost to, to the man. I don't know. But either way, he saw them fighting. He assumed his girlfriends were fighting over him. And he headed back home to girlfriend number one. And when he got there, he was just in time to see the blue light, which I I love this touch, which we are told had taken a shortcut. So it got back quicker than he did. But he got back just in time to see that blue light enter the girl's mouth. She woke up and did not remember a thing. 
Now, did she really not remember a thing, or was that just a likely story? No, no, of course, of course I haven't been out all night fighting with your other girlfriend in the shape of a blue blob. No, 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 I've been here the whole time. Was it genuine or not? We don't know, but... Either way, we are told that both girls lived for years. I guess that means they had long lives afterwards. But that young man would have nothing to do with either of them. He dumped the pair of them by the sounds of it. Maybe he went off and got himself three girlfriends next. I don't know. Maybe he had no girlfriends. Maybe all the girls in the area wised up to his rubbish and he was lonely ever after. I don't know. But what I do know is that that is the end of our first tale of the soul leaving the body. Now, the next tale, our second tale of souls leaving the body, takes place slightly earlier in the 19th century, in 1840, and we are heading westward. We are going to go west a little bit towards the Irish Sea to Anglesey, to Anismorn, and specifically to the town of Beaumaris, where the subject of this tale, a young apprentice who worked for a draper, who by all accounts was a bit of a tough boss to work for. We are told he's a hard taskmaster, so much so that all of his apprentices had no more than half an hour for lunch. Now, this apprentice in particular didn't live too far away. He lived with his aunt just a short distance from the shop. So, the scene is set. This apprentice is the, the, the main actor in this tale, as it were. And the two main places he goes back and forth to are his house, his aunt's house where he lives, and his place of work. And the strange events that transpire are slightly more confusing than the blue blobs of the last tale. But bear with me, if this gets a bit confusing, it will make sense by the end, I promise you. Just bear with me. So, this apprentice is sitting in his aunt's house on his lunch break one day, and he is due back in work at half past twelve. He looks at the clock, and it is half past twelve. 12. He is in trouble. He's in a heck of a lot of trouble. He knows how angry his boss gets and there is no way he can possibly get back on time. What can he do? Now, he rushes off as quickly as he can. Of course, he is going to be late. He doesn't live too far away, but he is going to be late. And yet, when he arrives, his co-worker looks at him a little bit confused and he says, well, what are you doing? You're already back here. His, his co-worker had seemingly already seen him enter once, and now here he was rushing in a second time late. Now, I won't, I won't try and explain all the timings and things because it gets a bit messy and confusing, but basically what's happened is his co-worker has already seen him coming back from lunch on time, and then he sees him walk back in a second time a little bit later, and doesn't quite know what what the heck is going on. But anyway, he, he doesn't really know what's going on either. But he's there now. He needs to do some work. He takes off his hat. He puts it on the hook to get back to it. His boss notices and his boss shouts at him for idling. 
And it's only when he's back home again that night and he speaks to his aunt and he explains to her what happens that it becomes clear. Well, it becomes clear if you believe in such things. She said, and I'll quote Jane for this, she said his astral body had moved out of his earthly body and gone to the shop. What the other apprentices had seen was that. They had seen his astral body. It had left the shop and entered his body again to bring the earthly body back on time. She could not explain except that fear of his master had caused the supernatural to take over. So not only can the soul leave the body in the form of a fighting blue blob, it can also leave in this astral form that represents you as as you really look then so you can effectively be in two places at the same time as it were you can be at home sleeping while your astral body is at work doing well i don't know if it can do work for you but it can certainly be there to represent you and if i was looking back at the first story again i would say maybe this man with two girlfriends maybe that would have been his best bet if he could have used his astral body there would have been two of him there would have been two of them no fighting problem solved but anyway we have more tales to come and for this tale we are going to leave wales slightly just by a few miles and hop over the english border to shropshire and the market town of oswestry which technically was a part of Wales at one point and then it wasn't and then it was and then it wasn't and I, I, I'm not going to open that can of worms on this podcast but this tale takes place right on the border between Wales and England and it was there one night that a woman who was a little bit tired decided to catch 40 winks in her armchair and then she heard something she thought she heard a sound which well, she thought it was somebody entering her kitchen. So she opened her eyes, looked up, and saw a strange blue light. Yes, the blue lights are back, and I know what you're probably thinking, having heard the earlier story. This is another soul, a free Roman soul, which has entered this lady's house. Or was it? Because this woman was aware of other strange omens, other strange tales. And more specifically, she was aware of one death omen in particular, and that was the corpse candles, canoeth corf, these death omens, which, as the name suggests, predict something not so good is on the way for the person who sees them. There's going to be a death. Maybe somebody nearby, maybe somebody you know, maybe even yourself. But the sight of a corpse candle means imminent death for some poor soul. Now this woman saw this light. She assumed it was a corpse candle, a canoeth corf. Jane tells us she was terrified. Nevertheless, she followed it. She followed the light and found a tall figure of a well-dressed man wearing a tall silk hat. The light had by then entered a bedroom and the man went in after it. 
Now, if this was happening in my house, and I imagine in any of your houses, the only direction you'd be heading is out the front door. Nevertheless, she followed with great courage, Jane tells us. It would have to be great courage. This strange glowing corpse candle she assumed light. This strange tall man with a tall hat in her house into the bedroom. And in the room was a table on which the stranger had placed his hat and gloves, seemingly just making himself at home. Now, I'm, I'm assuming he hadn't noticed he was being followed because this, this woman crept back downstairs again, waited for him to leave, which he did eventually. The light had gone out. All had returned to normality. Or had it? Because not long afterwards, she became ill and a doctor was required. Now, she turned to one of her neighbours for help, because, I mean, she, she was in no state to be going anywhere, and this neighbour sped off to the local doctors to summon him, and there was nobody at home. Luckily, there was a second doctor they could call upon. He rushed off to the second doctor, and once again, there was nobody home. Now, things were getting quite desperate, and call it one heck of a coincidence. But medical help was needed, and there just so happened to be a doctor in Shropshire on holiday at the time from London, and the neighbour turned to them for assistance. Now, before that neighbour had set off, the lady who had experienced that blue light and that strange man in her house had told her neighbour everything about it. She feared the end was near. She did not want to leave out a single detail. And she wasn't worried about people laughing at her about stories about corpse candles and lights and all that stuff. She just wanted help desperately. She told that neighbour everything. And as this doctor from London opened the door, he looked incredibly like the description of this stranger which had entered the kitchen of his neighbour's house. And upon entering this doctor's home, or accommodation, I guess it would have been there, or wherever he was staying, upon entering, he again took off his hat and took off his gloves and put them on the table, just as his neighbour had described. And to quote Jane, there was a lighted candle on the table, and in its glow, the neighbour saw the body of a dead, newly born baby. That, everyone said, accounted for the light the woman had seen. It was a soul light. So, rather than a corpse candle which predicts or warns you of an imminent death, this was almost the opposite. This was a soul light which was seen after the death had taken place and was, was hopefully, was presumably going to a better place. And in a very eerie aftermath to this tale, Jane sums it up by saying that the good news is the woman recovered, but the tale never told whether it had been her baby. Because why was this light, why was this man entering this woman's house in the first place? Had she lost a child soon before? And that light is what she saw afterwards. 
Well, that's for you to decide, really. But I think on that potentially tragic note, let us swiftly move on to the fourth and final tale of souls leaving the body. And this one takes place in the early 1800s. It's almost like we're going backwards throughout the century. And it involves Dr. Davis of Kerrigadridion, a village which, again, is in the north of Wales, not far from Betis, Akoid. And at the start of our tale, Dr. Davis is fast asleep. And it was in his sleep as he slumbered. He thought he could hear somebody calling his name from outside, calling his name from underneath his window. Now, this could well have been a dream, but in this dream, they shouted Dr. Davis and they said they needed help because a woman was dying. Now, he didn't get up initially. He was. He was half dozing, half awake, half asleep. And yet it had disturbed him. So now he was slightly conscious and he listened out and a second time, his name was called again. This time he went to the window. He looked outside. There was nobody there. It, it was clearly his mind playing tricks on him. Maybe he'd had a long day. Maybe he'd, he'd had a long night. I don't know what he'd been up to. But clearly something was not right. And then a third time, this voice came louder than ever. But still, there was no one around. He was wide awake now. He was standing up, looking out of his window. There was nobody there. And then the voice said, come urgently to Kraigachan Farm. Now, the doctor was aware of this farm and he was also aware that it was miles away. So to get there, it, it wasn't a case of just putting on his coat and popping around the corner. He had to saddle the horse and do it the long way. Do it. We are told it was a weary journey. I imagine it was. He's just woken up. It's late. And now he has to saddle his horse, go out into the cold night air for what could well be a wasted, pointless journey. But still, he was a doctor. He had to make sure he set off on that lonely journey. It was gone at two o'clock in the morning. There was no one around. He had the world to himself. And when he arrived, he could see just one light in the farmhouse window ahead. And he instinctively knew then that he was right to have made that journey. He knew there was a sick person waiting for him ahead. In fact, there were many people waiting for him. And they were very, very happy when he walked in. They were overjoyed. But strangely, they all denied sending for him. No one had left the house. It was such an emergency. They were all gathered around. And they were gathered around one person in particular, or maybe you could say it was two people, because the farmer's wife was having a very difficult birth. And the doctor did not mess around. He got straight to work. As a result of his timely arrival and his quick thinking, he saved the mother's life and he safely delivered the child. He saved the baby's life as well. And after the horrible ending to the last story, it's nice to wrap up this podcast on a positive note because the explanation for what happened, or at least the theory for what happened, and unless you can think of something better, then I am happy to go along with this theory. But the theory was that the farmer's soul left his body and went to find the doctor. 
Now, it wouldn't have been possible otherwise. There is no way they could have made that journey on foot in time and not a single horse on the farm had been saddled that night. And while the doctor, we are told, does not believe in supernatural tales or did not believe in supernatural tales, he had no explanation whatsoever for this voice which woke him first as a dream and then when he was wide awake at his window. And throughout that night, he saw nobody on his way. He arrived at the house full of strangers to him. He had no explanation, but whatever it was, he was very happy that it had disturbed his sleep, as I imagine with the friends and the family of the farmer's wife and their newborn child. See, a nice happy ending. I'm sure I will make up for it on the next episode with a, a nail-biting, terrifying ending that will keep you awake for weeks. But this time out, a nice, happy ending. All was well. But of course, if you want to make sure you don't miss next week's terrifying ending, please consider hitting the subscribe button and then you will never miss an episode ever. And if you have any thoughts on any of the tales you've heard on this episode... Maybe you've seen glowing blue balls floating about the place. Maybe you've had your astral body go to work in your place. Maybe you've even had two girlfriends fighting over you in a spiritual way, which I don't know where I'm going with that. But whatever it is, I'm quite easy to find online if you want to talk about any of this stuff or just say hello. Just do a search for Mark Reese and you can find my website or you can find me on all of the main social media channels. And it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. Dioch and Varian am Grando. I've been Mark Reese. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast. It's the best. It's the beautiful. It is the only Ghosts and Folklore podcast beaming to you from Wales to the world. Until next time, no star. Thank you.